podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. At Lowe's, we know you can get the job done faster if you don't have to stop and come into the store all the time. That's why we've updated our app with your business in mind. With the app, you can build quotes, easily reorder your supplies, track orders, and much more. So you can get everything you need right away, stay on the job, finish it, and get started on the next one. Download the app today. Because Lowe's knows time is money. Lowe's knows pros. Hello listeners, so first thing to say before we get into this is that I've developed a bit of a killer hangover since recording the actual podcast, um, so the intro might not be quite as exciting as the podcast itself. We've got PSG pro player Phil and Footheads Luke on the show to chat about their time at what was a fascinating FIFA tournament in Manchester, plus Foot Tactician is on to run the rule over the pro's tactics. I'm your host Ben, and while I head off to fry some bacon, I'll leave you with this week's instalment of the Foot Weekly podcast on Foothead and all your podcast providers. Hello and welcome to week 31 of the Foot Weekly podcast. Yes, we weren't here last week, but we're back with a vengeance because we've had a very big, significant event in Manchester. And first of all, I just want to say if any of you can hear strange noises in the background, that's because it's actually really hot in the UK at the moment, which is something we don't get to say very often. But it does mean that uh, if you can hear fan noises or um, doors opening and closing or the outside world, it's because all the doors and windows open. And it's probably the same for Steve. I don't know how it is. Where you are on where you're on the east coast of yeah the the east northish and it's it's even reached up here Ben yeah it's it's warm I'm sort of semi outdoors yeah. so all good that was the sound of Steve aka foot tactician who's joining us this week and once again we're, well, we're going to get into the tactics of Manchester um, and we've also got a man who was there playing at Manchester it's uh, PSG's fiddle fiddle how are you I'm doing all right the weather's not as nice as it seems over there it's rainy boring mm. about the weather I expect here in April. Nice, and where are you? You're like Cincinnati or something? Yeah, Cincinnati, Ohio, United States. And uh, a man who should be used to pretty hot weather, um, we have Luke Zimmerman, aka, well, your foothead's, uh, I guess, head of news, head of, head of most things, actually. Um, how are you, Luke? I'm doing pretty well. It, uh, it was about the same temperature here in Texas yesterday as it is today in London, so that tells you how hot it is in London, but a little humble brag, it's it's nice and sunny and 60 degrees today, so I think <laughs> I'm probably winning the, the climate battle amongst the four of us. Uh. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's all about the contrast, really, isn't it? It's basically like a tropical holiday here. So it was, it was, and it actually wasn't great weather over the weekend when you guys were over in the UK. And and actually, we should probably start with that, not the weather, of course, but the actual tournament. Uh, Luke, you came back to me with some feedback from Barcelona, and it wasn't particularly positive. Um, these were obviously big, significant events, part of the FIFA competitive calendar. Um, and it's fair to say there were quite a few complaints after Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, I, I come from a, a traditional sports background, having covered uh, American football in the U.S. before covering FIFA, and it's not. It certainly, from a press perspective, wasn't the worst uh, sporting event of any kind that I've ever been to. But I think for the actual athletes themselves that were competing in Barcelona, there was a lot of making it up as they went, and not in a good way. Um, so there was mm. tons of delays, tons of logistical problems. Catering was an issue. They had limited. You know, some players have dietary restrictions or maybe even religious-based requirements for what they eat and don't eat, and that wasn't always adhered to. So there was. Just a lot of frustration, both in terms of you know actually executing things on time, in terms of keeping everyone fed, happy, 
um, you know, the days were really, really long. You know, it's already for covering these events, you know, you're standing 10, 11 hours, but the, what I think gets overlooked is how mentally and physically grueling it is for the players themselves because they're, you know, competing in these like really high stress, high mentally um, exhausting kind of games, almost like a chess tournament or something. And these are really long days over an entire weekend. So if you're, you know, both miserable in terms of how long you're waiting for your games, how the games go, mm-hmm. there were technical issues. Some were EA's fault, some weren't, but I think there were a lot of lessons to learn. The good news is that the Manchester tournament, they really took that feedback and kind of turned it into a net positive. Um, I was speaking with the representative from Microsoft Microsoft at the wrap party after uh, Sunday's final day and after the uh, the grand final um, where MS Dasari won, um, kind of making it another title for Xbox, which I guess we can hit on later. Why does Xbox always win? We'll pick Fiddle's brain on that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the guy from Xbox said that this was one of the best uh, esports, not even just FIFA, but esports events he'd been to, period, in terms of logistics, in terms of execution, um, just everything from top to bottom, the little details, the attention to detail was just completely night and day. So I think not only was the event more positive, for everyone in attendance, be it the players, the media, uh, the coaches. Um, there were some tweaks, I think, behind the scenes for media and coaches, very first world problems that I can maybe speak to a little bit. Um, but I think overall, it was just so good. Uh, I think the the quality um, really shown on the stream and in the broadcast, just in terms of mm. the, the gameplay, I think was so much better because there weren't all these delays. There weren't all these technical issues. Um, I, I don't know if EA made any changes in the code or anything like that to prevent what happened, I think, in, in Barcelona, especially on the final day, is they couldn't even play PlayStation games. And this happened on Friday, too, the first day, um, due to technical issues with the PlayStation Network. EA doesn't, you know, the games are LAN games, but they use the PlayStation Network and Microsoft's Xbox Network for kind of handshaking to kind of validate the games. I don't know if they disabled that in their esports build of FIFA or what, but there were no hiccups mm. whatsoever. Everything was, I don't, I don't know that there was maybe a single issue all weekend um, front facing. I'm sure there was some stuff behind the scenes that everyone can talk about. You know, Fiddle has some probably from his vantage. I know a couple on my end that I heard other media people complaining about, but I'd say overall it went from, you know, a C minus D to probably an A minus A, which I think is a huge, huge jump. Fiddle, what was your perspective as a player? Did you feel that um, things were greatly improved? I know you were at both events, so I guess you're you're a good person to ask. Uh, Barcelona, like I mean, Luke pretty much hit everything. It was a, a mess from the get go. They just, I think, when they were introducing the new format for everything, it was something they weren't, they didn't really account for. They tried to get us to play too many rounds in too little time. So when one delay mm-hmm. set everything back. But taking that into Manchester, I felt like they had something to prove because, I mean, surely they got a lot of negative feedback, no positive feedback from Barcelona. The only positive thing they could bring from that was DH Texas story because that really helped them out, brought some new fans into the scene. But uh, they took all that negative feedback and they really showed that they were being serious about this with Manchester. From from when the, the second we got there, they brought us to the venue a day early to make sure we didn't have any issues. There was none. Mm. We got two hours of friendlies in. We went back, came back the next day. Everything was absolutely perfect. Like from a player standpoint, the only the only standpoint I think were that people were upset were like the coaches and the managers because they weren't allowed behind their players. They were able to watch from a viewing oh, area, but they couldn't like help out their players like how you were able to in Barcelona. Hmm. Does it, do you know why that was? Why there was that change? I believe the change was made. We weren't directly told, but I think the change was made to maybe to cut down on the delays that they were having in Barcelona because it was so crowded and finding a player was impossible. So if you kept all the players designated in an area, it was easy to find them, easy to get them to their station uh, okay. and start right, your games on time. 
part of what I think I heard, you know, this isn't like word of mouth or anything, but just sort of my inference on kind of some of the, the pros that I had talked to, um, because I think that was maybe the one negative is that I heard some media folks complaining because we also, we were literally behind the action, you know, could film over people's shoulders. You know, if there was a crazy DH text El Tornado, we could shoot that, you know, upload it directly to social. That's obviously a big win for the Bleacher Reports, Uni Lads, Futheads mm-hmm. of the World. We couldn't do that anymore because we were sequestered to the same area as the coaches. Um, we had a little bit of a press room kind of back to ourselves, but there, you know, there wasn't even TV viewing area in there. So it wasn't like a huge advantage or anything. But um, other than those complaints, those were the only complaints I heard too. But I think it makes some sense because what I had kind of picked up on is that especially in some cases where you had these free agents that didn't have teams or you had guys that were maybe the lone player for their org, they'd have these coaches with big entourages behind them. And in some of the weird cases, these are definitely edge cases, but you could end up in a match right next to your opponent physically. And if you had no one behind you, or maybe you just had one coach who was quiet and kind of more giving you, you know, feedback during break but they had 10 people who were screaming in a foreign language you know angrily mm. uh, that could be you know distracting it could impact your gameplay it could change maybe how you emotionally process it I mean maybe you know there's a case to be made that these you know athletes especially with their noise canceling headsets and stuff like that should be able to um, just you know filter out the noise and kind of deal with the environment as it comes but uh, I think that proved to be a problem for some and just to kind of in the interest of fairness kind of restrict those feedbacks to in between matches or after matches was probably in, in EA's mind a little bit more in the professional I don't know if it'll can probably speak a little bit better to that if that bothered him or not but I think that as a coach you'd, you'd like to have a presence with your player but whether or not that has to be an actual physical presence is another matter really isn't it I mean you could as, as you're alluding to the players are wearing headsets why can't they just get coaching via the headset you know well, during the, the the matches, like kind of from the knockouts on where you're sort of on a big stage and then you have the crowd behind you, there's actually more direct access for the coaches there, which is kind of an interesting dynamic. Like especially some of these German guys, they were yelling tactics and instructions and stuff like that, like mid-match. Another issue that I've heard pros mention about the tournament was um, I wasn't able to make it there, so I don't know about this. You other guys will. Apparently, um, there were giveaways um, during half time in, in some of the big matches in the console finals and what have you and apparently that was quite distracting yeah I'm curious as to Fiddle's thoughts on that it was just during the grand final I think this was really not forget about I mean the giveaways I guess could theoretically be distracting to some players uh, who were really dialed in the the pacing was just very different in the grand final itself the cross console final between MS Tassari and Eins Vogel they actually after each half had pauses and I think it was just to pay the bills to have ads on the stream that's my guess to kind of fill the the null I guess the void for people that are in attendance um, they were doing like shirt giveaways FUD item giveaways and stuff like that um which i guess some pros were complaining about and coaches were complaining about i don't know i mean i think in the super bowl the champions league final you have these big long half times and big long commercial breaks so maybe you just have to roll with the punches i don't know as a pro would that would that take you off your game fiddle or what do you think about those i think it's it probably wasn't needed but i mean if if they needed to do that then what makes it fair to me is both players are doing it like that's why whenever there's like bad conditions like some can adapt better than the other but I mean, these long half times. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Like, I would rather it not be a thing, but with it being a thing, uh, I just don't think it affected that much. Yeah, I, I wonder how much those kind of things affect pros. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about was the gameplay itself. A lot of people say that the gameplay does feel different to playing in the weekend league. Fiddle, is that something that you've experienced over the two tournaments you've played? Because that seems like quite strange, considering Foot Champions is the 
mode that qualifies you for the event for you then to go to a tournament and, and have different gameplay or feel that there's different gameplay it would seem somewhat strange uh, gameplay wise i mean like honestly when i play fifa i feel like there's like seven different gameplays there's like foot champions gameplay there's draft gameplay there's online friendlies gameplay but all of those have no correlation to how it feels at an event i don't think it's bad i think the event like gameplay if we could get used to it and actually practice for it it would be perfect like it would be a perfect game but with it being only available at ea events and your three friendlies before you play is the only preparation you get it makes for a kind of interesting thing because if a player adapts quicker then they're in a huge advantage but gameplay wise i i can't even put like i can't even pinpoint what feels different about it i feel your ai doesn't help you as much and it's so different like there's not even a certain style that works like some will be like the four two three one is the better formation but that's not the case when you get to like the finals you'll see four three threes you'll see four four twos you'll see four two three ones you'll see four one two one twos it's all these different styles so it's not like one formation works best on it so it's kind of interesting I'll, I'll tell you something that i noticed and uh you'll be able to speak to this because you played gorilla i noticed that um Players who were taking a more direct approach, who were looking to get the ball forward quickly and maybe hit on the counter-attack, I noticed that they were the players who seemed to be struggling the most, really. Um, the players with the more patient, you know, possession build-up style didn't seem to have such a problem, but people who were just lumping the ball up there, they, they seemed to be the ones that suffered. Would, would you say that was true in your game with Gorilla? Uh, with Gorilla, I mean, me and Gorilla kind of play uh, like similar styles in the sense that I pretty much play around like the same way he does. He does it better, but uh, like, see, you think that that the the players that play quick aren't at an advantage, but someone like Nicholas Rosek, Barcelona and Manchester plays four one two one two. He'll go right at you, quick passes, one two passes right through you, and he seems to make it work. He's lost in the console final both times. Like, that's the most consistent performer that's been in the scene this year. So, I mean, hmm. it's, it's, it's weird. Like, it seems that different styles work. It, no one can kind of pinpoint what's the best. Theoretically, that should be the case, right? That different styles should yeah. work because it does in real football. Uh, so going back to the point about gameplay being slightly different, could that not be because you're playing, you know, other pro players and in a weekend league, yeah, you'll play top players. But, you know, when you play those top players, my assumption it is you're being connected with players who are probably a less solid connection to you um, than when you're playing your kind of average player that you play over the weekend league. As soon as you go into the uh, big tournaments, you're obviously playing on theoretically a perfect connection. I don't know, my my theory is that presumably the gameplay actually is the same for champions and LAN events, but because LAN is connected more consistently and, and properly, it means that the gameplay is going to feel slightly different. And, and actually, how many games do you play in a weekend league where you're playing other really, really top pros? Do, do you think that might actually be be the cause for people people saying this? Uh, foot champions, I don't really like compare foot champions and uh, an event because you really don't match. You match five good players, uh, I'd say five to ten good players, and then you match 25 dudes that are playing weekly just for fun, trying to get their gold three or whatever it is they feel they're, they should be getting. But I like to compare it to online friendlies whenever we're like playing i'm playing against my other pro friends with joey ix joey alexander all my pro friends that i i scrimmage with and 
it still feels different from that. There's just like something different about it. Oh, so that connection, playing like friendlies, uh, not competitively, that's all done peer-to-peer, isn't it? So it's not through the servers, whereas FootChamps is through the servers. Yeah, so think about like online, you've got from a technical standpoint, in a, in a friendly even, you still have your console, your router, your ISP, some sort of central, regional, or node. And in some cases, even when you're playing these guys, these are state players that are states away. So it'd be like countries away in the, in the in EU. So you have all that going on. LAN is obviously direct. I, I personally, from a technical standpoint, think that the feel is probably just the LAN connection. But yeah, it sucks that there's not really a way to simulate that. I don't, I don't know technically how much of a challenge that is for EA engineers. Um, that I think is is the hardest thing because I really, I truly, I take EA at face value that like the game is not the same or the game is not different, right? The code is not different. They don't have the time and resources to build a separate version just to spite the pros, which some pros seem to to think that that's the case. Like, why can't we play the same? version? Version. It's just the connection makes it feel so different, and then I think there may be a little bit to the, the the talent differential. But yeah, I mean, like you said, you're scrimmaging your your peers that are fellow pros, and it still feels different. It's it's frustrating. I'm sure like you can't really prepare for that. There's no way like you guys can't book a flight to Kansas City or to Ohio and just like do it up in person. That'd be like the best way to prep, but it's just not practical. I do have something mm-hmm. on that point with um, but even if we were to go and say I have a a player. Uh, friend Joey, he lives in Michigan. If I were to go out to Michigan and play him, we still can't use. There's two versions of FIFA 18. I don't know what the difference is. There's FIFA 18, and then when we go to an event, an EA event, it's e- FIFA 18 Esports Edition. The only there's not actually any difference in the gameplay. The only difference is that ability to do the aggregate scoring. That's like the only thing they could have differently. Yeah. Um, it's possible since Barcelona. That was the case at Barcelona. That's what I heard from a, an EA. You know, and I, I don't want to call them representative because they weren't licensed to speak. Let's call them a source, right? Um, mm. It's possible they made some changes between Barcelona and Manchester, but I doubt it because they're busy working on other things. Uh, but I, there might be a, they might have changed it, like I alluded to earlier, to where you no longer have to have the handshake with PSN or Microsoft to prevent those technical issues. But the game, at least like the once you start the game, it's, it's the same. There's not any code difference. So I think it's got to be yeah, the connection the, personally. But the, there are a lot of myths around there being different types of games, like people saying that there are different different modes have different gameplay and all that kind of stuff. But actually, a lot of it just comes down to um, other factors like for example chemistry making ultimate team feel different uh, and you can go back to our producer interview which we did at the very start of this year and there is no difference between the, there's the, all the gameplay is the same in terms of the code uh, in all the different modes it's just obviously chemistry affects foot so the fact that different. they have that like interstitial loading screen that says esports edition though that like makes you subconsciously question it whether or not yeah, there yeah, is any difference yeah. like why did they even do that it's yeah yeah it's it weird because wonder. we can't even i also qualify for eswc sao paulo in paris and neither of those events, uh, they they have EA qualifiers. Like if you win them, you can make the playoff, the EA playoff in June. But we still like we have to we get loaded accounts, you know, like where you have availability to use any player in the game. But they still don't allow us to use the esports edition. It's just weird. I don't understand why it's only at those cups that That's we strange. What at my, my esports edition. I'm sure that 50% of the of the listeners would like to know if scripting is a thing at, uh, at FIFA tournaments. Was there some kind of EA conspiracy to ensure that MS Dasari won it? Because Saudi Arabia is obviously cash rich, so people from Saudi could get interested in the game and buy more packs. Is that a thing? No, I, I don't. I don't believe any of that. I, I've, I've heard some crazy things about DH Tech story as well that they bump DH Tech sliders up or no. I just think if it's your day, it's your day. There might be some. What was the thing? The FIFA gods, but. 
What what was the thing people were saying? Remy Martin was using DH Texas account. Was that the rumor at <laughs> Manchester? <laughs> yeah, we had we had a little thing. It was a little weird. I was I was sat next to Tex for the event uh, throughout the whole weekend, throughout the group stage and whatnot. And he was given the same exact account from Barcelona. And the p- three people next to me, we all got different accounts. So it was really weird. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it didn't turn out to mm-hmm. go as well for him this time. But I don't know. I'm I don't actually- think there's anything like that. And a little bit of a being lighthearted, really. (laughs) And a little bit of an aside. I'm actually curious about this. In every, well, at least in in Manchester, and I think it goes back to Barcelona as well. I'd have to look back at the records. We haven't really seen what we saw in the MLS Cup, where there's one player that just kind of runs the table all day. I think both finalists in Manchester definitely. I think both finalists in Barcelona, uh, the finalists in Barcelona, for those of you that didn't follow it, were uh, Nicholas 99 FC, who went undefeated until I think either the quarters or console semis in, in Manchester. He was the, one of the finalists against DH Tex. Both him and Tex, and then at this final, Eins Vogel and MS Dosari on the Xbox side all went 5-2. and two. Do you think uh, fiddle that losing games early kind of gives you more information kind of gives you kind of more room for self-analysis that maybe if you just run the table you wouldn't necessarily have to make do you think that's an advantage actually to lose in the group stage i think it's interesting that uh every finalist has been five and two that's a really interesting stat i mean it's all just down to like once you get into the top 32 top 16 there's such a minimal difference between the players it's just a, like a certain little bounce can be the difference in a game so I don't think it's a like a make, it helps you to lose, but you you lost a couple early, didn't you, Fiddle? Uh, I I lost. I think I I went three and four this past event. In Barcelona I went four and three. All right. I mean, the margins between that one match have to be razor thin too. Yes. Like that's that's mm. wild. Is, I mean, it's pretty amazing, you know, how tight the margins are in in the games. I mean, I don't know that there's something quite fascinating about seeing the matchups in that sense because you never really know who's going to come out on top but it's not because the randomness of the game it is because the two the two players always end up being really well matched when you get into the final and even in games where you see one team do really well and pull away you often actually do get um, the other player come back into the game um, and, and you can see those momentum shifts which you know obviously I know that's a dirty word but you, <laughs> you genuinely do see the psychological shift in the players as they start to score goals and they pick up you know more momentum and, and start to, to do better in the game and uh, fiddly is that something that you kind of see yourself when you're playing? I think uh, the momentum thing it's not like a thing in the game actually itself but players no, no, I mean no. athletes in real life athletes in esports anything they feed off momentum and some do it better like a game of basketball it's runs 10 points 10 points FIFA, you get one thing go your way, and then you just start. You start attack, and it puts the other guy on the back foot. It's hard to stop it, no matter what it is. Going back to your point, Ben, I think something that I find quite often is that when you get to the higher levels where there is such a narrowed skill gap, a lot of it, as you correctly allude to, does come down to to mental abilities. And quite often, it's the player who's prepared to be the most cynical, who's prepared to close a game off and make sure that his opponent has no way of coming back. They're the ones that tend to be the most successful. And all, but also, on the other hand, do you think it's also players who can play with that kind of freedom and, and feel kind of loosened up by the whole thing? Underdog, just happy to be there. Uh, there isn't the same kind of pressure that someone like Gorilla has or, or even maybe, you know, Fiddle yourself um, being a PSG player. Um, uh, myself, I, I feel a little bit. I feel that I, any player at a top org or club or whatever it may be, you have, you do, it's always in the back of your head, you have a little bit of an expectation. And you know if you don't get to this, say, a certain point, you feel you've let yourself down, you feel like you've let a few people down. 
But while you're playing, mm. you don't really feel it. Well, myself, I, I'm just focused on that game and what I can do to win that single game. Of course. And, and so, Fiddler, talk us a bit about kind of what you used at the event, what tactics you went for. Is that something you were doing throughout Foot Champions, the tactics you used, or do you bring a different loadout almost into uh, the big tournaments? Interesting enough, I, I made a big mistake with this last event because talking to like, I, play, I do something online, it works. I do something in an event, it doesn't work. But at Barcelona, I was running my normal 4-1-2-1-2 narrow, going, just playing my way. And I did well. I had tough matchups. I still got out of my group, which I was proud to do. And then I went through a little bit of a dark, I would say, time on my online FIFA. And I was starting to lose games I shouldn't, getting out the results I wanted. So I switched to the 4-4-2, which seems to be a popular formation. And I tried it to bring it into Manchester, and I underperformed like no other. Like myself, why I was I knew at the end of the weekend I could have done better. I shouldn't have made this change. But I mean you can only learn from things that if you lose, you gotta learn. So And what what would you have gone for in hindsight if you could have changed it? If I could go back, I would just stick I would have practiced my four one two one two all the all the month upcoming to the event and I would have used that there rather than the four four two. And you don't mind the kind of narrowness of that formation. It doesn't concern you in terms of attacking options or anything. I think you can make your own space in it. Like uh, the outside backs, you I still leave my outside backs on stay back while attacking like everyone should. But, I mean, you can still get them involved if you build it up slow throughout the back. And then once you get everyone up the field, you can uh, start to, I would say, blitz the opponent because you have so many people in the attack. Something that I noticed, Fiddle, from watching um, MS Dasari was he, um, I think it was the, it was either the, Grand final, the con- one of the finals. He was playing the four one two one two narrow for a, for a time, and he had his fullbacks on stay back while attacking. But all the time, he was triggering runs with them. He was getting them involved in one twos, and he was getting some great width that way. So he still had the defensive solidity, if you like. You know, if if a counter attack came, he always had one fullback back, but the other one was always there providing width and what have you. I don't know if that's something that you do or whether you tend to get your width from. Uh, from just kind of shuttle runs from the from the center mids. Yeah, it's mostly just uh like if you if you build up too fast, your outside backs don't get involved. But if you kind of keep it like see, I'm gonna pass from your defensive mid to your center mid to your outside back, you can get them involved that way. If you want a tactically a tactically brilliant player to watch, it was Ms. Desari throughout that whole sure. weekend using like five different formations. Yeah, it, like for different situations, it was awesome to see. I was literally just going to say that he changed, I think, in the console final against Rasek, who you mentioned. For me, uh, you know, no, not taking anything away from MS Desari, who was a totally worthy champion. He's won big FIFA majors before that EA has run. But Rasek was the best player of the whole tournament for me. Okay. Um, I think Desari was probably right after him. But in that match, he changed formations and tactics like six or seven different times. It was insane. Like, I might change at the 68th minute or whatever, almost formulaically, and my, you know, not that I'm playing like serious pros or anything like that. Against like a player of equal ability to myself like gold one maybe caliber uh that's what i'll do i'll change like once just to try and catch my opponent off guard maybe twice at absolute most he was changing two or three times and a half which uh is that do you think that's overkill fiddle or do you think that that's just the situation was dictating that for him it's just it depends and if he feels that was way i definitely won't question anything he did because he took someone like rasek <laughs> who was scoring i think at one point he was scoring 7.7 goals a series Two games scoring 7.7 goals, and he was shutting them down. And a few lucky bounces at the end that could have gone either way. But, I mean, he played it brilliantly. Whole do, do, you, 
Do you guys think that... Uh, sorry, Ben, I'm kind of treading on your toes here. Me and Luke are asking questions away and sort of like... No, no, that's, that's what it's all about. Get the discussion going. Do, do you think that this is... It could be significant in, in terms of... Do you think this will encourage pros to take tactics more seriously? Because... Uh, even if it's a 5% advantage at that level, that's that's a massive advantage, a massive edge to have. So do you think this will lead to pros being a bit more savvy about things and, and paying a bit more attention and, you know, being prepared to learn two or three different formations, Fiddle? Uh, I for my, for my case, it did exactly that. Like, I came home and I started playing games and I, I already said throughout the next few months before my next events and whatnot, I want to have four or five formations that I know I can switch to and be confident with. Because, I mean, if he doesn't make all those changes, I don't know. I just, I just feel Rasek, because I, I think the difference in the game was that first 15 minutes when Dossery would switch formations, that Rasek felt, oh gosh, this is a new look. And then sure. Dossery would grab a goal, and then Rasek would start to bring it back. He would learn what he's doing, and then MS Dossery would make another change, and it was just right back to that, and he had the advantage. Yep, so he had the advantage by being reactive, which was a bit odd. Normally you get the advantage by being yeah. proactive and taking the lead, but he actually managed to get the advantage just from reacting to what his opponent was doing, which I thought was absolutely amazing. It was brilliant. And one of the points on this that I'd make is I was always amazed, because I watched quite a bit of Barcelona actually, and was amazed by the lack of flexibility that a lot of players had. You know, They wouldn't necessarily change formation that much. When they did, it was arguably too late. They were reluctant to switch to anything beyond 4 2 3 one or the 4-1-2-1-2. And it really surprised me because FIFA, one of the big kind of problems almost with the game is that the players on the pitch can't react to uh, changes in formation very well. Like they don't position themselves that cleverly uh, in response to another formation. Because in real life, obviously, if a team's playing a formation, there's a lot more nuance to the way it will play. Like, whereas you don't really get that so much with, you know, players don't have that kind of intelligence to do that within FIFA. So if you can pick a formation which counteracts your opponent very well, then actually the AI is going to really struggle to, to do anything about that. I mean, Steve, you know very well because you've got those 3-4-3 guides that that formation particularly, if you come up against the narrow formation, is really successful. Oh, yeah. Um, and and you, don't, you just didn't see people doing that so much. No, I, I mean, I, I agree with what you say. There's obviously only so much that you can do in terms of instructing your players to do this, that and the other. And it's, it's probably a frustration that's shared by managers in real life, I'd imagine. Um, as soon as players oh, well, cross yeah. the white line, <laughs> you know, they become a law unto themselves in a lot of, in a lot of cases. I do think that you can exercise a lot of control, though. One of the reasons that we pay so many coins for these players is because of the stats that they have, isn't it? And and one of the stats that, that that's valuable, especially in terms of attacking, is attack positioning. I wouldn't underestimate the potential of, of players using the artificial intelligence to find the pockets of space and what have you. But... Um, yeah, in a way, I mean, I guess that EA, uh, they have to strike a balance between it being a, a, a game that you play rather than a game where you, you're a manager, if you see what I mean. So probably a tricky balance to strike, I guess. I, w- I want to jump in and ask Fiddle real quickly. Uh, so a regular around these parts and a FUDhead contributor, FUD Economist, he had a tweet the other day that the responses were all just ridiculous and terrible because that's how Twitter is. But it was still an interesting, <laughs> it was still an interesting question. Yeah. He asked, FIFA 18 is what percent tactics, what percent skill, what percent team, and what percent luck? What would, you, what would your answer to that be? So team, what it, team skill, luck, tactics. Think, all right, so I would put it on team is about 40%. Luck, I think, is only about 10% of it. And then what were the other two? Hmm. Tactics and skill? Yeah. I put 15% tactics and the rest on skill. What would you have put tactics on before you watched MS Dossery this weekend? 
Probably even less, five to ten. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty fascinating. I, I think something else tactically I saw this weekend was Gorilla was kind of, he lost his first match. He was struggling a little earlier, and he switched to a three at the back, which, you know, I know Steve has talked about kind of on you know, some of his work and podcasts in the past, getting luck out of, but... I, I can't defend to save my life with it. Is is there? Could you imagine a world where like a pro does really really well, gets deep into the knockouts with a three at the back fiddle, or is that just like a pipe dream? Um, I think Gorilla. I, I I honestly, I mean, I'm in no place to critique him because he's done a lot more and will do a lot more than I'll ever do, most likely. But I think him making the three five two, it, it helped him get to a certain point. But I don't think he ever had a chance in that tournament to win it with a three five two. I think he went once he went away with what. He does best, and I, I just don't think it was a smart decision by him. But and it ended up he ended up losing to one of my Canadian friends, uh, Goal Machine, who had an insane tournament running a yeah. formation you never see four three great two play. one. I really enjoyed watching Goal Machine. I thought he was great. And was he playing a four three two three two one? Do you say? Yeah, four three two one. Yeah, it's really fascinating, isn't it? I, I mean, that formation particularly is, I've always thought, one of the big no-nos of this year because the midfield often goes missing and you don't really have much cover in the centre. And then uh, the three, I didn't ever feel like the left forward, right forward and striker ever really had the kind of nous to, to make the right runs, even when I changed to different custom tactics. I, I might be completely wrong, I don't know. Fiddle, have you tried that yourself? Do you, do uh, you? Four through two, one. It's not something that's worked for me, but the reason it works for him and why he did so well, it was so... It, it, you've never seen anything like it, the way he played it. The way he played it, the players he had, he had Bergkamp at left center mid. He, uh, You know how you usually have your right-footed Ronaldo at right forward, you would think, and your left-footed Messi at left forward. No, he did it backwards. He'd put yeah. right-footed Ronaldo at left forward and left-footed Messi at right forward. So, I mean, it was just something so new. So whenever people... He was coming out and playing these guys like... Megabit, Gorilla, who have been playing all these all these years and all these events against the same mm. thing. And whenever they played against him, it was something completely new and they did not expect it. Did you catch any of that, Steve? The conversation or the the play? Well, I'd hope you catch the conversation. <laughs> <but no idea>. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the play itself. Um, yeah, I did. I, I watched quite a few of Gold Machine's games and uh, it was interesting to see the way he played, the way that he played it, that he brought new things to the table and totally agree with fiddle i think he caught a lot of people off guard by doing that and it shows as well that it's not you don't necessarily have to make massive changes to get the upper hand sometimes it can be just the odd little wrinkle like playing a player on the opposite side to where he normally would be and having him cut in and getting shots in that that can make the world mm. of difference so I was going to say, Steve, actually, uh, one of the things that was really interesting about what Tassari did in the final was switching to the false nine formation, which is not really something you see very often. What, what, what was he kind of trying to do with that, did you think? Was it just trying to keep the ball, basically? Or? I think, yeah, I think it was mainly about possession. Um, it's, <laughs> the false nine is useful in terms of dragging the centre-backs out of shape a little bit and maybe opening a bit of a gap for through balls for the wingers to run into. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's back to the point that I was making earlier about in a sense that the players that are that are most successful at the highest highest levels are the ones that are prepared to be the most cynical and i think when he really wanted to close a game down that's when he switched to those kinds of formations um he used the 4332 quite a lot as well i think with the with the cdm when he wanted to keep possession and just basically kill a game off um and very effective you know as we all saw yeah that was of course what barcelona were using to play their very very possessive football that they 
you know, they beat United within the final a few times in the Champions League, and it is very good for keeping the ball. And in FIFA, I think it works pretty well because um, a lot of people, if they're playing the narrow formation, they will you obviously match them up in the midfield essentially. Same. I think that's sort of CDM sentiment. That's sentiment. twice in ten minutes that you've mentioned Manchester United, Ben. I think. Um we should mention there are other football clubs or you should declare an interest at this point, one or the other. Take, take your pick. Declare there are no interest other football or... clubs available. That's... <laughs> um, let's, let's move on from football because it's not an especially good time for Manchester United. Um, what were you going to say next? Luke, I think you wanted to say something. What, what, what was your point going to be? Yeah, I was just going to... Uh, I had two things I was interested in picking Fiddle's brain on since we have him. Um, the first was MS Sarri. You were just talking about kind of what he was doing in the final. He said kind of in the post-game press conference that after the grand final, after he'd won it all, that sort of his biggest concern, like the one lingering doubt he had in the back of his head the entire time as he was winning these just crazy games and route to his championship run this weekend was his defense. He said, um, I always knew I was going to score enough goals, but... I just didn't know if I was a good enough defender to win this tournament. Is that, do you do like, is that self scouting kind of part of the equation when you're kind of getting through these grinds of going through great pro after great pro after great pro? Or is that, or do you just kind of, are you just sort of in this flow state where you're kind of just flying the plane, doing the best you can? I think um, you get a little bit of the time after a game where you kind of like kind of self evaluate and you kind of and you always see your stats. I mean, you look at any TV, you've seen how many goals you're giving up, you see how many goals you've scored. You're like, all right, I, I know I need to defend. But I mean, with Dossery, I think it was just destiny that he was going to win that tournament. And he was too smart. Every player, he felt like he had the upper hand. And I mean, if he felt he wasn't defending well, but I mean, at Neil's events, you're never going to see a 3 2 game on a series. It was always going to be first one to eight goals, usually was going to win. Uh, there was really very few low scoring series. Definitely. I'm sorry, this is just coming at a slightly different angle, but I wanted to bring it up because we were just talking about it. Um, we had a question on Twitter from Stefan Carlson. You can tweet us at FootWeeklyPod, any questions. Uh, and he says, I'd love to know if we should consider the 4 4 2 as a top tactic for us casuals or whether it was more of a sort of pro tactic uh, first of all fiddle as you're the pro uh, is it a format i mean you mentioned actually that you'd used it and hadn't found it best for you but, but do you think it's something that people could adopt more widely or is it something you need to be sort of a very very excellent player to, to master uh my my time with the 442 i realized you really got to be able to create for yourself like you're um, you have a lot of width and it helps defensively having those wide uh, wide mids helping you defend but i feel you sometimes you're lacking that cam so with Black and that cam, you really have to be able to create yourself, like take a few touches and beat someone off the dribble to make enough space without a cam. But I, I don't know. I think a casual standpoint, you should probably stick to uh, like a 4-1-2-1-2 or a 4-2-3-1, something where you have a cam. I will say, interestingly enough, I was a long-time 4-1-2-1-2, like, essentially Grilla Disciple. Even when I would play with, like, a 4-3-2-1, I'd switch to a 4-1-2-1-2 in-game. Um, similar tactics to him, maybe a similar kind of debonair approach as, like, a hashtag Harry, where I'm just, like, I'm playing to get the game over with, almost. It's, like, my, my language in-game, my body language, or my <laughs> tactical approach is just, like, let's rip some goals, let's just get this done with. That's how Harry always seems to play, and it works for him until it doesn't, right? Same with me. I switched to the 4-4-2 after talking to Benedict Salzar in Barcelona, because he was telling me that he thought width in this game was a little broken, and he felt that with the 4-4-2, you could kind of get some stability if you had the right guys. Now, I'm, you know, I have what I consider, like, a, a luxury club, and I still don't have enough coins to go 
get like a Vieira or a Hullet. If you have those two guys, maybe a four four two would work really, really well for a casual if you're a super mm, big spender. I, 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 but I agree. I think that might be one of the key points is having two exceptional midfielders who can kind of do almost everything. And that's not going to be that possible for most players. I don't know whether, Steve, you've you've got any points on that. Is is it a, a formation you've kind of tried yourself? I know you're a fan of, of using width, but Yeah, it's um <laughs> It's, it's very different to the, the formations, the styles that most people are used to playing because you don't have that cam. It's, it's useless for quick counter-attacks because normally what you're relying on with the counter-attack is having the the cam and the two strikers, the triangle against the uh, against the two centre-backs. So you're kind of relying on outnumbering three to two. Well, the best you're ever going to get with the four-four-two is a two-on-two counter-attack pretty much with your two strikers, your two central strikers. It requires more patience, um, but it can be very effective. It's, it's back to having the overloads in the wide areas. If you're playing somebody who's playing 4-1-2-1-2 narrow or any narrow shape, then by playing with two banks of four, you're always going to have the right back and the right midfielder, and they're going to get two-on-one overloads on your opponent's left back. So it has mm. its advantage in that sense. But if you're kind of stuck in your ways of just, you know, bang it up to the, to the cam, play one-twos with the striker, through ball, hope you get a goal and do that for 90 minutes then uh, I wouldn't advise the 442 unless you want to uh, broaden your horizons and try something different instead of going to play mm. Fortnite <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have to quickly float this speaking of hashtag Harry uh, so the broadcasters were criticizing him the whole tournament for running out team of the year Danny Alves who is a player that I love him as a super sub he's really small so you can't really play him in a 442 but if you have like a 41212 I think that he can be okay as kind of one of those left or right mids coming mm. on at the 60th 70th minute or whatever if you're just trying to steal the ball steal possession and create some quick offense with a faster guy off the bench even though he's undersized i think that works i personally like i hate his work rates for actual playing fullback but hashtag harry played him the entire tournament and they kept criticizing they kept criticizing him they kept criticizing him and finally in the the console quarterfinals he basically lost the game because of danny alves like all those work rates luke uh i think it's high high Am I mistaken? No, no, it's, it's, it's high attacking, low defensive. Oof. Okay, okay. Well, whatever. He's yeah. he's dreadful for me, at least at fullback, right? I just can't. Yeah, I've never yeah. been able to get... I, I, I totally agree. And, and this is something It's interesting because, Fiddle, I apologize. I'm not trying to kind of get at all pro players here because uh, many pros are pretty tactically astute and aware of player stats but and, and, and their work rates. But you're absolutely right. Danny Alves has low defensive work rate and high attacking. And, and every time I've played him, I've basically been able to exploit that because he doesn't stay in his position. I think even if you put stay back on him, he just isn't as active in defending as other players because of that. So you can put him there, but he's not necessarily going to work as hard to be in the right place. Kind of strange he's done that because you consider the other right backs that are now available in, in foot. Like, why would you choose Danny Alves over them? But um, it's, it's an interesting one. Pros are exceptionally good at the game and some of them are so good that the other aspects like the selection of players and tactics are kind of a bit of a side story for them, even though they are incredibly yeah. important. I think this is why maybe managers and, and things like that will become more important as, as time goes on. With yeah, I wanted to ask Fiddle, have you ever made like a substitution just because a player was available that you haven't used as often and have that like really burn you at one of these tournaments? I, it didn't really burn me. Mine was Maldini at this last tournament. I really liked the way he played, but uh, other than that, I mean, I have a ultimate team that's i have a pretty much almost every player available to me so that that doesn't really pertain to me as much so i get a chance to use about everyone mm. so before we finish up our discussion on manchester and esports overall and we'll move on to team of the season we're going to 
quickly ask you to round up your thoughts on this tournament and maybe what we'd like to see. Uh, Luke, first of all, what would you like to see? And, uh, and, and just give it maybe a rating out of 10. Yeah, so I think, you know, as Fiddle said, as you know, you guys from watching at home, from me having been there as press, I think the, the biggest thing for me is that even being there, it's really hard to tell who's playing who and kind of what the results were recently. Uh, whatever EA can do on there and technically, you know, whether that's an API, whether that's like a data partner or whatever they can add to make it, you know, I'd love to have like a real time scoreboard somewhere. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. Hint, hint, EA com slash scores. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, we would love to partner with them to, to bring, to surface something like that. Uh, and I just selfishly, me as a fan, me as someone in there as pressed in attendance, I'd love to better know what's happening because there'd be some mm. awesome results and it was harder than ever, I think, to follow, um, all the action at once, depending on where you mm. were. So you'd focus on like a couple, the way they had this set up is you could watch kind of three or four games at the same time, but you might not know what's happening in something else. So if, you know, Tass mm. is getting upset by Remy Martin, but you're over watching like hashtag Aga or hashtag Boris or whatever, like you might not even know it. So having the ability to kind of look real quickly and see, okay, this, this score is going on. I want to go follow this instead. Or even the folks at home, you know, that might help the broadcast figure out, okay, let's shift to this game, which is much more interesting than the, you know, two one snoozer that we're covering or whatever. I think that would go a long way. Just kind of better letting us know what's happening in the games that they aren't showing. Yeah, absolutely. On a so, scale of one to ten, I'll give this. I'll give it a nine. I thought it was really solid. It was like an A effort. Great, sounds good. So, Fiddle, what's your uh, score for the tournament, and uh, what would you like to see in the next one? I thought overall, for from a player standpoint, an absolute ten. Like it was perfect. We had everything we needed. I didn't feel like at any point, like EA had me behind, like where I didn't feel like I knew it was about to happen. We knew exactly when we were about to play. We knew who we were about to play, what time we were going to play, where we were playing. Everything was fine mm-hmm. in that sense. I think the only thing they could really add is maybe like an option for the player I and mean, the for the watchers at home to maybe have like an option mm. to watch four different games. Like even if there's no commentators on the game or anything, but one of their mm. favorite players is playing, maybe it'll be on like a second or third Twitch channel, like EA Sports Bravo channel or whatever it, whatever it may be. I think <laughs> they need to have an option to be able to watch uh, mm. more games other than the one that's being shown. It'd even be cool mm, if they yeah, had like cool. a NFL red zone or like Premier League goal zone kind of option where you could just have the broadcasters cut around as exciting things happen instead of just focusing yeah, yeah. on. Because what would, I think what would happen is they'd fixate on one or two matches and then if they were both not particularly good or they were blowouts, then you're just stuck watching these not particularly good matches. Mm, yeah, no, that would make a lot of sense. Cool, Steve, uh, from a sort of sitting at home and watching it. Yeah, pretty um, much agree with the other guys. Is um, as a... As a not exactly a casual observer, but as somebody who can't dedicate seven hours to watching the entire stream, it'd be nice if you could jump into it midway through and know that within 10 minutes of watching, you're going to get some sort of reference point, you know, where you've got an idea of, of what stage the competition's at and why these two players are playing, what stage they're at, um, who's still in, who's gone out. Yeah, I, th- I, I think that's a really good point. Uh, you know, from my perspective as well, you kind of jump in and you don't really know quite what's going on sure. um, for, for quite some time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, uh, you could liken it in a lot of ways to watching a golf tournament where, you know, it, it goes on for seven or eight hours. A lot of people don't watch it for the, for the duration, but you're never more than five minutes away from a shot of the leaderboard, you know, so that you've got an idea mm. of... You've got a reference point, so you, you know you've, what the relevance is of, of why they're showing this player at a given stage or... Um, the other thing as well, I found it incredible that they'd go to games without even showing you the teams. You had no idea of what play, mm. what cards players were using um, in the games that you were watching. 
much less yeah. than the idea of the tactics. Maybe that's something that players aren't so keen on revealing, but the idea of, of showing a game without even referring often to the lineups, I found that quite amazing. Yeah, and the other thing that, of course, I know, Steve, you would definitely be keen on, and it's because it's something we've discussed before on the podcast, is some kind of like highlights package, because I couldn't catch the weekend. There's no way I'm crawling through like 30 hours of uh, footage to try and work out kind of what went on and get a feel for it. Um, but if they could put out some kind of condensed highlights package afterwards, that would, I would definitely catch up on that during the week. Uh, I think it'd be a really positive thing. For sure, yeah. I mean, there's there's a reason why the big networks do have highlights shows at the end of the day. It's, it's exactly for that reason, you know. And I, mm. I, to me, it's a no-brainer that that should be a given that uh, the EA are looking to do that. Um, I'm sure it's probably something that they will address going forward. It's early days, um, but yeah, hopefully it, it won't be too long before they do that. Cool. And how would you rate it out of ten? Because you haven't given your rating out of ten yet. I really enjoyed the gameplay. I thought it was really engaging. Um, the coverage let it down, I thought. So, mm, a stingy six. Six? Yeah. I, 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 no, really, I thought the coverage really took away from it. I thought the games, I thought the actual content was brilliant. But, you know, mm. I, the commentators did a good job. Um, it's just that it's not having that reference point all the time and not knowing the teams. It's just it's simple stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. And if that was addressed, I, I, I I'd, I'd, go, I'd, go as, I'd go as high as a six and a half, probably. <laughs> harsh man when he wants to be it's obviously those beers that have just been brought in um, so let's uh, wrap things up then I, I obviously didn't catch enough of it to comment but it's been great hearing your thoughts and it sounds like it was really good so um, I'm happy for that let's move on to a second half where we'll talk about the team of the season um, we may even briefly mention the team of the week join us in just a second after a quick break well, that was a long first half of the podcast, so why not reward yourself by leaving us a review wherever you get your podcast? And also, if you don't already subscribe, please do, and you can do that uh, if you're listening on Foothead through the links just below where the podcast is embedded, or just search Foot Weekly on your podcast provider of choice. Welcome back to part two of the podcast, don't worry, it's a quick one, it was a quick break too, we enjoyed it, well at least uh, certainly Steve did as he's got a bucket of beers um, to his right hand side, um, it's definitely that kind of day uh, here in the UK, but uh, it's also the type of day where we need to talk about team of the season, because it is, I mean, from now it's pretty much a week away, probably even closer once you're listening to this, so there is someone who we have who probably knows more than most of us about team of the season because his website is hosting a vote um yes luke foothead is hosting a vote for the most consistent which is a departure from how it usually works actually yeah historically for those of you that are new to fifa or aren't as familiar with the team of the season most consistent as it was sometimes called now called the community team of the season essentially the way this squad works is ea would put together a sort of either a short list or give previously their forum moderators kind of guidance on choosing a team based around the best players domestically at their respective clubs and in their respective leagues that didn't receive informs um, during the season. So you'd have this squad that would often include one or two, you know, big, big name players from like a, you know, the likes of a Busquets or somebody like that, who's actually a nominee again this year, maybe some players that play at positions that don't necessarily get goals and assists as often. So it's harder, you know, to get them, um, those black and gold informs, right? Um, mm. Previously, they would do a bronze, silver, and a gold team, so that you'd wind up with, you know, 
a ton of players, like 70 plus at the end or almost 70 plus at the end uh, of informs. This season they're just doing because we've kind of gotten away from bronze and silver informs to just a, a gold rated team. And this time it's entirely fan voted. So you won't. The problem in the past is while many of the mods would do a really great job, you'd have one or two with really strong opinions and really strong personalities. And basically what they would do is sort of monopolize the process with their players. Uh, I remember there was like this huge battle over Benny Failhaber when he was on Sporting Kansas City, like 10 pages of arguments over Benny Failhaber. Like, Benny. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that's I don't know that MLS stands have even argued 10 pages on a MLS forum or blog or whatever about Benny Failhaber that hard. But regardless, um, this this I think process will lead to a much more satisfying outcome. You know, you have the likes of Giorgio Chiellini, Merrick Hamschick, Yano Block. Uh, Nicholas Sule and folks like that are going to be the ones that we see um, voted on and potentially making up this club, Jamie Vardy, Sebastian Giovinco. So there still will be a little bit of an MLS presence. There's kind of, I think, mm. if there's one controversy about it, um, I've seen some folks angry on Twitter saying MLS has only played six matches. It's true. The MLS season just started, you know, in the past month. But I think the, the the timeline that EA appears to be using is the end of the last MLS season through this one. So uh, Giovinco hasn't had an inform this FIFA. So uh, I think he's you know based on his form, he's perfectly adequate. If you want to vote for him, I think his we can all agree his tots would be a lot of fun to use. You know the Atomic mm. Ant, um, and then you have like you know PK Thomas Lamar, Javi Martinez, uh, Andrew Robertson, who's having a breakout year. Um, so there's there's some really I think interesting names. The, the squad I think should be pretty. Solid satisfying when it comes out in a, in a week with voting probably closing or having closed after you've listened to this um should be pretty exciting and then certainly we get into the, the league some people were also confused thinking that this was the only tots and they're like where's Messi? where's ronaldo no this is this is like the appetizer right and then we're gonna have mm. you know we don't the order is different every single year so you can't really predict it sorry traders but we're gonna have you know premier league probably is the first or second bundesliga is also an ea partner um the generically named in-game calcio a better known as Serie A in real life ligoon um and and then you have like kind of a rest of the world team of the season and i'm sure i probably omitted somebody mls doesn't come until the summer since they're all-star games in like august but all the other leagues will get you know these really op cards coming out in the next month i am most curious i'm getting into the sort of the team of the season sphere and i can certainly address any of the players that may or may not make up the team based on what i know about them but fiddle as a pro is there is there anybody you personally or any of the pros that you talk with regularly has been looking forward to getting a toss to maybe add to your lineup in a future tournament um i think well he's the first tots coming up I don't think there's much there, but honestly, outside back wise, I think there could be an Alexandro could maybe get in over Marcelo into an event team. Mm -hmm. A right back, I'm not sure. Kyle Walker, if he gets one, I mean, he's almost got to be a no brainer at that point. And then uh, mm -hmm. I think you could see a lot of uh, team of the season Neymar's used. Yeah, because he hasn't had like that crazy card yet, has he? That. Um, some of the other players have. Just, um, but, sorry, Ben. Uh, outside back is—is is this an American thing? I've—I've I've never heard yes. of, of a fullback being referred to as an outside back in my life. A fullback here would be like a like a that's almost used as like a recreational soccer term. That's the battering ram in in the the American football, isn't it? <laughs> when I when I hear fullback, yeah, I think about a big fat dude that blocks and maybe catches out of the backfield. Yeah. Out, outside back, I've never heard such a thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, to be fair, I, I have so many podcasts with Americans, I have to sort of just leave it, otherwise it becomes We're, too much. At least we didn't say what? At least we didn't say PK, right? We're separated by a common language, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
So, I mean, one thing to know with the team of the season, most consistent or whatever they're calling it, community now, is that it actually generally tends to be fairly cheap because the players are quite unique. Um, you'll see initially they're kind of expensive because people are desperate for that team of the season action. But over time, they should drop quite a lot. And certainly once, you know, the next team has come out, uh, you could see some really cheap prices on them. I know last year you could get some really, really good players for, for very reasonable prices. And that was that was quite nice. Um, one thing uh, which for Economist notes is that he thinks the market will dip uh, significantly during that period even though it's already started to drop but we're so close to it I think people haven't really kind of got on the um, panic selling hype so that could happen um, at that time and certainly as we move towards it you probably still do have an opportunity to kind of sell up uh, certainly when the Premier League team of the season hits uh, even if you don't see a, a massive dip overall it's likely that actually when when the the team drops itself for that time it will, you know, hit the market really hard. So I uh, just watch out for that. Um, it's something that you should probably keep an eye on. I know, Steve, you've already sold up on my excellent advice in, in previous weeks. So. Yeah, but I, I, I did double check with Jamie and he, he says that it was actually good advice. So, yeah, we're all good. Here, I'm, I'm far from a trader or a market expert and I'm definitely that idiot that just like overspends <laughs> using players in his own club to do SPCs instead of like selling them and, you know, buying cheaper players. But... Hear me out for one second. For those of you that are looking for kind of bargain beasts or maybe uh, you just, you're a free-to-play player or a road-to-glory type player and you want the best possible value, look for the guys in the most consistent of the community team of the season rather that get selected for their league tots as well. Because when they're re-released, their supply will be really, really high. So maybe like an Andrew Robertson, mm. a Javi Martinez, Thomas Lamar, um, these guys that are going to get two releases of their tots, their supply will be double what anyone else's is. So they might get really cheap, like 20, 30K. Good point. Mm. And the other thing is to note that, you know, some of these cards consider their ratings. Uh, some of them are very high rated, but very undesirable. So there's potential for investments uh, for submitting into things like SBCs. You can actually pick up. If they do the same SBCs they did last year too, there's some real opportunities to get these like untradeables. You know, you don't, you're not yeah. going to ever play Busquets in your lineup. He's just a player that's unreal in real life, but it's just a complete liability in FIFA to do his pace. Mm -hmm. But take that, you know, 88, 89, whatever he has, throw it into an icon SBC and you're good to go. Exactly. So the team of the week this week uh, is actually like one of those ones which isn't particularly good because of some weird position changes and various other things. Um, but I just wanted to give a shout out to Zaha um, because he looks really fun. And um, I used his 84 rated team of the week and he was really good. The only thing is his weak foot is a bit lacking. But the other thing I wanted to say, and uh, Luke, as someone who keeps a close watch over player overalls, what happened to Giroud? Yeah, so I think this year, this is actually, if you've been sort of following the trends of how the player overalls get boosted and how the stats get boosted, they're actually sort of doing it a little bit more pragmatically this year, where if you get your first inform later, you're getting a boost comparable to a second or third, especially if you're a lower rated item. That doesn't mean, you know, everyone's going to go from an 86 to a 92 or whatever. It's not, it's not as algorithmic, I guess, as it was. Now it's more... Um, exponential i guess i don't know mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not a math person so if i'm abusing terms that's uh <laughs> bear with me just pretend it's because i'm a dumb american but like it Luke. Um, like it yeah you know i i think they're doing it more like as you get later in the season the boosts kind of reflect 
that point in time because what would the point of like an 84 striker Giroud even be you know yeah, at this yeah. point so what's the point I think of an 87 rated Giroud who's going to yeah. use him really I mean, <laughs> that's, that's yeah I mean that's totally true but we can we can at least pretend so um, it's good for SBCs and nothing else I packed it yesterday I had I had some like reward packs that I hadn't opened since I'd been sort of you know at this tournament out of the country and traveling until Tuesday uh, and so I opened one of the rewards packs and got 87 Giroud and was like alright well Never used this, but <laughs> I'm actually really hyped for uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma because I, I, I'm the one person that uses Team of the Year Benucci. I think he's awesome, um, but he really, really sucks for chemistry, especially because he's not in mm. Juventus anymore. So I've been using the man of the match Donnarumma, and now I get an upgrade. So he's 6'5". Oh, nice. He's really tall. Um, I don't think he has the saves with feet trait, which everyone no, seems to think is the holy grail. But uh, he plays, I mean, honestly, I have team of the year De Gea, and I barely notice a difference. So Dude, save, save your FIFA. coins and use Inform Perrin. He's, he's much better. Yeah, I'll um, have to check I'm him out. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I hated him. Did you? Um, with a passion, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, let's move on to someone I don't hate with a passion, and that's um, Ricardo Pereira, who uh, is Porto right back and has a second Inform. Um, and I just wanted to mention his stats because... He's just really, really good card. And the same with a lot of fullbacks that you can actually use them really effectively in central midfield as substitutes. Um, I mean, this is a 50k sub, so maybe not for everyone. But if you want to use them at right back, he'll be amazing anyway. Um, and he gets uh, 93 aggression, uh, 79 strength, 91 stamina and 94 jumping with anchor. And he's got pretty much maxed out pace and he's got in the 90s for all his defending stats. And he's, he's really good on the ball with 88 long passing, 90 short passing, 90 crossing, 89 agility. Uh, 88 dribbling and actually 86 composure which is very good on a right back and he's also got three star skills four star weak foot high high work rate so he's, he's really really um, excellent he's 83 was and I think this is going to be even better a uh, slim chance he might get a team of the season which would be pretty phenomenal but uh, yeah he looks really really good Fiddle I don't know whether there's anyone um, you want to pick out in that team of the week before we move on uh, team of the week wise um, nah I, I, my, with my team at this stage it not no players that are really going to sneak into my team but I mean for someone that doesn't have as much of a team I think the Pereira card could be decent other than that I don't know I'm not looking at much <laughs> I don't know I've kind of just given up asking pros because unless there's like a Ronaldo or a Messi or like a, yeah. <laughs> somehow uh, Maldini's in the team of the week or something <laughs> uh, then generally they're not particularly uh particularly full of players that you might like to use because uh, they, of course, have a, a lot of coins and a lot of good players. I think one of the things that's been interesting this year is prime SBCs um, for icons mean that pros can just submit all their like trash cards that they've been getting from monthlies it's and rewards beautiful. and things. I've loved it. What, I've, I've had top 100 monthly every month, so like I have a ton of red cards that I just have not wanted like nothing to do with them. So being able to throw them into SBCs it's been able to help. Like I, I did Roberto Carlos SBC just for the fun of it. And I was like, oh, I think I mm. can do this for like a hundred K. So why not? Mm. Right. So it's been really nice. I mean, I, like I, I mean, before you would have a bunch of red cards, you'd have like an 83 Phil Jones or something like that. Just chilling on your bench. Nothing, never going to be in your team. So might as well throw them into an SBC and see what you can do. Cool. And before we move on, because Foot Economist isn't here and I can fire shots at him without him knowing, uh, well, actually he might be listening in which case, uh, I'm going to fire shots anyway. He's been going on about Naldo on Twitter, like literally since he came out on Wednesday. He keeps saying that he should be used at CDM or something. Have you seen his agility right. and balance? He has 56 agility and 40 balance. Yeah, that can never um, be And he's like six foot five hmm. uh, with a high attacking he work looks rate. so unbelievably slow. He looks like such a liability. Yeah. He'd be beat for days and weekendly. He's one of those weird players. He's like, might be fun as a novelty, maybe center back in a back five or something. But realistically, for economist, get a grip, man. He's not going to do it for you. <laughs> 
shot power 99 but like <laughs> what sick bastard is going to be ripping goals with Naldo? <laughs> amazing and two star skills of course as well which isn't helpful but i think on that you know really positive note we're probably ready to end this week's podcast so fiddle thank you very much for making your debut on the podcast it's really been greatly appreciated and we've loved having your insights on the pro scene um, and anything else apart from the team of the week of course no problem i am just chilling today so it was a great pleasure to come on here and talk some fifa with some people that are pretty knowledgeable about uh different areas about it as well great thanks i might keep that for our business cards steve thank you very much for joining us again you can be found at Foot Tactician on Twitter. And also, you're offering uh, people some coaching sessions as well. So, people should have a look at that if they can. I am, sure, yeah. Uh, one-to-one coaching sessions, hopefully helping people get over the humps that they're on at the moment that's stopping them getting to the next level. Yeah, mm. come check me out on Twitter, at Foot Tactician. All good. Have fun. Let me get to this bucket of beer that the missus bought in halfway through the podcast. Well, that was <laughs> that was the goodbye of someone that's going to have beer. <laughs> Let's move on to Luke, finally. Thank you very much for joining us, and uh, it's been very nice to have your insights. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Luke. And thank you very much, listener. It's always great to have you as well. See you next week. Bye. Sweet. Um, yeah. I'm just wondering if there's something that we've left out slightly in terms of foot swap. Nobody cares about uh, that. You're probably <laughs> right. Actually. I did think about that before <laughs> I brought it up. Yeah. you can get the job done faster if you don't have to stop and come into the store all the time. That's why we've updated our app with your business in mind. With the app, you can build quotes, easily reorder your supplies, track orders, and much more. So you can get everything you need right away, stay on the job, finish it, and get started on the next one. Download the app today, because Lowe's knows time is money. Lowe's knows pros. Sports Social Podcast Network.